Hey, good morning, everybody. How we doing? Good. I, I hadn't planned an altar call until I saw the, the Green Bay shirt, so clearly Jesus is needed in this place. So, um, hey, uh, man, I, how many of you grew up in churches where, uh, or, or I don't know, I, I would assume it's churches, how many you grew up in, uh, like, throughout your childhood or maybe junior high, high school, where uh, Advent, like the idea of Advent and the, you know, the candles and the wreath, how, how many of you grew up with that? Half the room. Okay, I, I did. Uh, and I had no idea what any of it meant, except for there was readings during church and there was candles, right? So that was kind of my, my understanding of it. And as I've uh, gotten older, especially I think as I've leaned into maybe even historically what Advent is and how it uh, uh, works within the church and, and what it's set aside for, uh, is man, it's really, it, it's been super helpful for me in, in leaning into the Christmas season. I think, uh, you know, as I get older, the first Christmas present I remember like, Having that like little kid Hollywood like Christmas moment was my original NES Nintendo. Um, and then after that, you know, it's kind of like you, then all of a sudden, like in high school, every gift has to be like $350 or it's just not good enough, uh, right? And then you get older and you don't have money to give people gifts. And so you're hoping like, you know, like just money this year. Like that's what we're looking for, right? And, and there's some of that like little kid Christmas magic that goes away. And it almost feels like, the idea of Christmas just kind of fades off in the distance. Advent for me has been a bit of like an awakening of that wonder, uh, a little bit of the pressing into uh, what, um, uh, and, and obviously not in the little kid commercial, you know, Christmassy kind of thing, but but really uh, into this Jesus showing up to earth story. Uh, and in Advent, I think here's one of the things, I'm not by nature a sit down, calm down, quiet down kind of person. Uh, Advent is this uh, is this season we set aside to wait, um, and and I don't know how great you guys are at waiting. I'm not incredible at it, uh, and and if I have to wait for too long, my fingers start tapping, uh, and everyone in front of me hears me like kind of giving like, right? My exhales get really loud and pronounced, and uh, usually my wife tells me my neck gets red. I don't know what to do with that, but uh, I am from downstate, but not that far south. So, um, you know, so, so as I go uh, in Advent, for me, what it does, it puts me in a place to be actively waiting, to put purpose to Christmas is coming. Remember that like seven-year-old, like Christmas is coming, Christmas is coming. It gives you that uh, in a spiritual sense of this long, uh, like the song, the, the hymn says, the long expected Jesus. It, it puts you in a place to be watchful and to be mindful and almost forces you into a contemplative posture uh, where, you know, and I love the critique that, you know, Christians are, are dumb, they don't use their brains. Because I feel like what Advent does, it, it causes you to engage your brain and engage your attention and really thinking about what's happening and really sitting in the reality of what's going on around us and what is happening in our lives and what was going on with our families and what does this, what does this God, like, you know, never began, never end, that, that, that he would show up here to be with us in the way that he did, in the place that he did, to the people that he did. And as we engage it, I hope for you over the next couple of weeks, it, it puts you in that place. Now, in this, what we're talking about is making room. Uh, and, and I don't know about you, I, I like to cram my schedule. Uh, I like to, you know, I, 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 like, I, I like a lot of stuff going on. I feel like if there's not a lot of things going on, uh, then, then it's easy for me to kind of do nothing. If there's a bunch going on now, I'm actively engaged and involved. Uh, and so one of the biggest issues for me, and I would assume probably not different for the rest of the room, uh, is, is making that room 
is creating space, is making sure that my life isn't so crammed full of all these other things that I don't have room for the most important things. A friend of mine, Chad, uh, who's the pastor at our Lakeview location, was sharing this story. Him and his wife do foster care and was sharing this story. And I thought it was really helpful for me to engage this idea as he said, him and his wife, Brooke, felt like they were called into foster care. Uh, it was, there was a, a spiritual God-sense calling in them that this is what God wanted to use their family for. And so they did the classes, they, they kind of finished all that, and, and so they were in this place of, of waiting, right? And they get a call, and they were in a one-and-a-half bedroom. I don't know what the half bedroom looked like, but I've lived in places similar, so I have an idea, right? And they had a, they had a baby already, and they got a phone call saying, hey, tomorrow we have to place three siblings, do you, have, do you have room? Right? If you've ever lived in a one-and-a-half-bedroom apartment, and sometimes that half-bedroom's like the tub, right? Uh, if you've ever lived in, in that kind of space, and there's already three people in it, it feels a little snug, and now you're talking three others that don't know how to navigate the space, and you come up with all the reasons for why it won't work or why it shouldn't work unless God's put a call on your life to make space so that when the time comes, you're ready to receive. And for me, it really helped give some image and some picture. At the end of the stories, they said yes, right? And they figured it out. They, they didn't have space, but when they felt like they needed to make it, they could make it. Uh, when it. When it had to happen, it was able to happen. And I wonder for us in this Christmas season, this Advent time, if this would be a place for you to look at your life, so I don't really have time for that. I don't know if I have money for all these things. I don't know if I've got space for that. I don't know if I have the attention to give. I don't know if I've got the energy. I wonder if God was saying, but could you? Could you make space for it? Could you separate some stuff? Would you be able to uh, make room for Jesus to actually enter into this Christmas season for you? So as you're wait and you pay attention and you're observing and you're seeing who God is and what he's doing and what he wants to be involved in, and, and, and you've got that, you know, I'll use the word contemplative again. It, it causes you to contemplate and to think through. And so when we make room for what's important, but so often when we are tired, busy, angry, frustrated, or stressed, we can make room for TV and Jesus, but, or sorry, TV uh, and, um, and friends, but Jesus is the first to get the cut. Uh, here's a little clue. Uh, when I entered into pastoral ministry, I realized Jesus is not that big of a priority for people. Because here's how I knew. Well, you know, I had a really busy week, and this is my like one day to sleep in. So, you know, I, I just I, I, I was missing for six months, right? Because I was just really busy and I was tired. And you realize, like, you still went to work. Some of you still went to the gym. I'm not positioned in that way, but some of you are, right? Uh, you still like you still found time for the grocery store. Somehow, like you made space to breeze through like 12 seasons of some show. Some dude at work told you you should be watching right? We made space for all these things, but often God's the first thing to get the cut in our life. And again, at Christmas, we're asking, could we be making room for Jesus? It's kind of the issue of the first Christmas. I think one of the crazy things, when you think about it, why did Jesus use these, or why did God use these, you know, these magi, these wise men from the east? Could it be that they were already looking for something, and God drew them to himself? Why did God use the shepherds? Probably because unlike the businessmen and the educators and the people that were busy and flying and had a bunch of things going on, maybe it's because the shepherds had, had room. Maybe it's because they weren't busy with all of life's issues and all the things going on and things they've created for themselves. And, and maybe, right, one of the beautiful parts is this family that makes room 
in their place for Mary and Joseph to come in to give birth to Jesus and create this, what we now have as our nativity scenes. But this scene of God entering into the world was available for those who are willing to make room. Christmas is all about Jesus entering into the world. So I want to encourage you to make this Christmas all about making room for Jesus to enter into your world. When you make room for Jesus, you make room for who he is to us and who he is for us. We make room for these things like peace and hope and joy and love that he brings. And this week, I want us to think about this. Maybe one of the reasons life is chaotic or frustrating or broken uh, where themes, things seem out of place, maybe one of the reasons why life feels empty is because we're so overloaded with everything we're carrying and we've not emptied any of it to make room for Jesus. So in this case, today we'll be talking about, so we've not made room for peace. Maybe that overwhelming thing is because what we're trying to do is just squeeze more in rather than make room for what needs to be there. Uh, we aren't experiencing peace because we haven't made room for Jesus. I love Isaiah's call in chapter 9, verse 6. He says, For unto us a child is born, and to us a son is given. We get this fully God, fully human already in verse 6. A child and then also the Son of God. The government will be on his shoulders. He will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, right? Or I love this interpretation of that Hebrew phrase, or Father of Eternity, meaning anything eternal can only come through Him. But it'll also be the Prince of Peace, of the greatness of His government and peace, right? The greatness of His reign and rule, but also of His peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Uh, peace is only possible when we have assurances, right? If you know you can lean on something, uh, then you can have peace about it. Here's an example. If you go buy a car and the car salesman says, this car's probably going to run for a while, uh, but this model's had transmission problems, but I'm sure you'll be fine, Right? Are you going to drop the 30 grand or ask some lender to drop the 30 grand and you'll pay them back for who knows how long, right? But are you willing to do that for one that the car salesman says, ah, it should be fine, right? Uh, probably not. Why? Because we want to know, will this run for a while, right? Uh, do I have assurances? What, what warranties do you offer? How do we make sure this goes? Or maybe think about this. What if you're at the altar getting married and the preacher says something along the lines of, do you take this person to be your spouse, to have and to hold uh, from this day forward in sickness and health and uh, right, richer or poor till death do you part? And, and, and the person that you're staring at says something like this, most likely, <laughs> right? Uh, my guess is uh, if you don't run, your parents will tell you, you need to go, Right? Why? Because peace is only possible when we have assurances. I want to know that it's through thickness and thin. I want to know that it's whether we have much or little. I want to know if it's while we're going on a jog together or whether I'm on my deathbed. I want to know, I want to have peace, right? That I can open myself up to another person, right? And that my wife, uh, that there's assurances that she'll do the same for me because peace is only possible when we have assurances. What Jesus offers us our specific insurances that when we make room in our overloaded, busy, stressful lives and believe in his promises, then we will be making room for his promise that he gives of peace. 
I love, uh, if you remember the shepherd scene of this Christmas story, uh, and the you know, angels show up. If you don't watch you know, um, Charlie Brown's Christmas, Linus will repeat the whole thing to you. It's really good, right? But in Luke chapter 2, uh, the angels show up, and all of a sudden, there's this incredible choir that opens up, and all of a sudden, the lyrics they start singing are this in Luke chapter 2, glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace to those whom his favor rests. The angels are proclaiming peace is coming, peace is going to happen, that this is a reality that the world will be able to step into and know for so many of us, life certainties has its joys and blessings for sure, but man, we can get bogged down in its despair and, and discouragement with all the tension and brokenness and pressure and uncertainty and anxiety, you need to make room for Jesus and the peace that he gives. What I want us to look at here are a couple of things like this. When you make room for Jesus, the first one is that Jesus' reconciliation gives us peace. His reconciliation gives us peace. Now, maybe one of the biggest undiagnosed issues in our chaotic and overwhelming search for peace is that we don't understand what's actually broken. We're trying to fix our finances. We're trying to fix an argument we had. We're trying to fix uh, all these things. We're trying to, you know, I'm really sad, so I'm trying to fix all of that, right? So we're trying to fix all these things, but are we, are we, are we addressing the issue that actually is the pinpoint of all the other ones? Is our biggest issue financial? Is it marriage? Is it health? Is it work? Is it singleness? Is it family? Or could it be that our biggest issue is this consequence of living uh, repetitively distant and away from God. Could, could that be it? But we don't want to address that one, so we try to fix all the other ones. Uh, it has created an eternal brokenness and chaos that spread its decay into our finances, into our marriage, our health, our work, our thinking, our feeling, and our family. Uh, the irreparable separation between us and God is the catalyst for every other area of chaos in our life. James chapter 4, 4. James starts off this way, you adulterous people, right? Good to meet you too, James, right? He says, don't you know that friendship with the world or everything that isn't God is enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. He, he illustrates the issue isn't like, well, I'm kind of close or like I'm, I'm like a, I don't know, out of a scale from one to 10. If you notice, James's sliding scale is not one to 10, it, it's it's friend or enemy. It's redeemed or not. Romans chapter 5.10 says it this way, if while we were God's enemies, right? Strong language, but it's right. If while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. You get it? God's not waiting for you to get it all together and figure it out and make sure you're productive and make sure that you're successful and make sure that you've got life laid out the way you want it to. Like, let me get these things arranged first, then we'll do that. He says, no, while you were still way over there, far distant, separate from God, he says, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? This reconciliation gives us peace. And here's where Christmas matters, meaning uh, the incarnation of God. Jesus shown up uh, in this manger because Jesus coming to earth made a way for your slate to be wiped clean and to be given a fresh start. 
Romans chapter 1, verse 19 says, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, meaning Christ, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. And here's the hard part. We can even read verses like this and say, that's really nice. But what my real issue is, and what I'm asking us is to stop ourselves from that and letting our drifting being distracted and scattered and bring it back to what is most likely, right? And I would say biblically, there's certainty that this is our biggest issue, is the things in our life that haven't been yet reconciled back to God. God living fully in Jesus, this reconciliation, this idea that Jesus became this bridge builder, allowing people far from him to come back to him by making peace, making whole what's been broken. Romans chapter 5, 1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The peace comes only, it's not through what or how or a thing you can do or a conversation you can have, it's through a whom. Through Jesus. The moments, the people, the decisions and attitudes that used to be evidence of you being guilty before God were taken away with Jesus and now peace. And this isn't like a mystical spirituality, right? Uh, good vibes will not give you peace. This is about making room for Jesus' invitation to himself. The promise of peace, the gift of eternal life because through Jesus you've been redeemed. Your life shouldn't be in chaos when your eternity is peacefully promised. Get it? Let's play it backwards. If your, life is peace, if your eternity is peacefully promised, what else can wreck that? Uh, what else messes with that peace? Uh, what else can come in and start chipping away and distracting and drifting and destroying the things that God's given you if you already know how the story ends? You have no bigger problem in your life other than being in wrong standing with God. You can make room for that kind of peace. Second thing is this. When you make room for Jesus, Jesus' rest gives us peace. Jesus speaks into the struggle, not the uh, always just the eternal one, right? We always say, okay, yeah, when Jesus comes, it'll be better, and it's easy to kind of brush it off, like, well, I'll just be sitting here waiting then, I guess, because right now I don't feel it. But it's not just for once he comes back. It's for after he already came. Not the eternal one, the everyday one. Same stuff, different day can be how life feels. But John 16, says this. He says, I've told you these things so that in me, so that in me, you could have peace. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. Jesus gives his life and his teaching. He gives us methods and models. He shows us, right, as, as this ultimate uh, mentor of God showing up on earth for us to look at and hear from and follow and watch and, 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 and step into that kind of life. And when he does, he says, I've told you all this so you could live and you could have, you could possess, you could take hold of peace. It could be yours. In the world, you're always going to find trouble. It's amazing how we go back into the world to find peace and always come up lacking, but then we think maybe we just didn't dip into the right part of the world. So we'll try this one or that one or we'll go back to these things because all that didn't work and at least I know what to expect back here. Consumption, distractions, addictions, finding other sources for spiritual feelings. Uh, it'll make us temporarily okay, but over the long haul it's lacking. But in Christ you can have peace. 
You don't have to look anywhere else. If you are lonely, you don't have to look for anyone else. If you are hurting, you don't have to look for any other relief. If you're bored, you don't need to look for anything else to inspire you. Remember this phrase from Warren Wearsby, stop drinking poison just because you're thirsty. In Christ, there's a peace in everyday rest if you make room in your life for Jesus every day. You don't need something from this world to overcome your current stresses or anxieties or issues. You need someone who has already overcome the world. Do you need peace? Stop letting the issues and pressures of each day choke out the hope of peace. The more uh, you live outside of Christ, the more you will find trouble. The more your life is found in Christ, you will make room every day for that restful peace. And this last one is this. When you make room for Jesus, the Spirit, uh, Spirit's reminders gives us peace. Now, I don't know about you. I, I used to think, uh, right, that I would be fine without reminders, right? Any of you still living in that vortex where you think you're right all the time and it's just broken and it's not going to pan over the long haul no hands you'll get there it'll be fine right uh where man i i can i don't need to write it down hey put this in your calendar it's like i'm good right until i wasn't good over and over and over right you know what i'm saying um right i realized how many meetings i was dropping how many responsibilities i was missing how many projects i was neglecting keeping a list of reminders has helped me as long as i obey the reminder if I obey the reminder, I'm okay, right? And I'll buy the app. I'll get the thing on my phone that dings and lets me know, but then I usually shut off the notifications because there's too much dinging, and then it's like, well, whatever, right? And we go, but I have peace when I'm reminded of what's really happening and what really needs to happen. Our spiritual lives are the same way. We need to learn what God says, but we also need to put ourselves in a place to be constantly reminded so we can live with everyday peace. To, to make space so the Spirit of God can remind us of the things we need to know, or are we really good at quenching the Spirit because we're being overloaded with everything else? John chapter 14, 23 says this, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. That's a rough evaluation tool. Do you obey his teaching or don't you? Because we start to wonder, does that mean we love him or maybe we don't? And if we do, right, I love this, my, my father will love and we will come to them and make our home with them. Meaning, when we obey, we immediately make space because someone's, my guess is if mom calls and says, hey, I'm, we're, we're coming tomorrow, we'll be there, you would have to make some kind of room for mom to come stay. Here we get this idea that, man, Jesus is moving in because people who are obedient are immediately thinking, how do we make more and more space? How does God show up in this area? How do we make room for him here? How does he show up in these places? He says, all of this I have spoken while still with you, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all these things and will remind you of everything I've said, Right? I don't know how good your memory is. I was not great. I remember in junior high, uh, the church we were at tried to do like Bible Bowl. I don't even know if that was a thing at your church. Memorizing a lot, right, of Bible. And I realized uh, my brain doesn't work in crunch mode. I can't just memorize and remember. I love this. The Holy Spirit shows up because he will be the one that reminds you. 
you've got to learn it first. You can't be reminded of something you don't know. You've got to walk with Jesus, be in the word, follow him. But then the spirit of God is the one that reminds. I love this. He says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Don't let your hearts be troubled and don't be afraid. Why do you need to consistently make room to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Not to have a powerful worship experience. Uh, not, not to have one where, man, that, that last hour, that was really good, right? And then you go home and you're still overwhelmed and overloaded and exhausted and tired and afraid and scared and upset and all those kind of things. But rather to be filled with the Spirit's constant reminders of everything we're supposed to do, everything we're supposed to be, every calling that God's laid on us and the direction that he's called us to be in. Jesus speaks to our attitudes, to our mindsets and how we carry ourselves. He says in verse 27 there, do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. You get the image? My, my peace, right? Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. It's yours, take it. And then within a verse later, he says, don't let your hearts be troubled and don't be afraid. Because those two can't live in coexistence. One is going to make room for the other. Troubled about broken relationships, job insecurity, uncertainties, afraid about debt, health concerns, if you're going to make it. Jesus says you will always know what to do so long as you come to God for it. There's peace because he implants his presence inside his believers, and that should bring peace. When Jesus says, and lo, I will be with you always till the very ends of the age, he meant it, and he did it, and it's happening, and it's here. Jesus becomes this peace vending machine. So long as you come to him, he'll dispense it. He's got it. He'll give it. It's yours. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 9 says, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace, I love even in that title, it assumes uh, that this is a son of a king, to be a prince, and that prince could bring a lot of things, a lot, if you are a studier of history, princes can screw a lot of things up. But this one's different. Luke chapter 2, verse 14, the shepherds see the heavens open up and the countless choir starts proclaiming glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. Not just peace to everyone on earth, but those who seek God, who make room for him. I love this story. We'll end this way. In Mark chapter 4, verse 35, after a long day, tons of teaching, lots of parables, Jesus gets into a boat with his disciples and they're out there. A storm comes. Uh, the scripture says a furious squall, Right? Now, I don't know if you've ever been, you know, it's hard in Illinois to experience a furious squall, I would assume, right? Uh, but, but the kind of storm that terrifies you because you're no longer in control. You're just out there, right? And even if you've never been on a boat out in the ocean, you've been like that out in life, where life is overwhelming, and you know that you can't handle this on your own. Everything's out of your control. You can do nothing. Everything you've tried isn't going to work. Everything you can command isn't going to listen. And they look, everyone's panicking. And in the back, I love the way Mark lets us know, uh, it says Jesus fell asleep on a cushion in the back of the boat, right? Now, I don't know about you, I can fall asleep anywhere. I've fallen asleep on public buses in Mexico. I've fallen asleep, right? If I'm not driving, I'm sleeping. And that's usually how my travel works, right? 
Uh, but to pull up a pillow means I'm intentionally going to sleep. How, have you ever been in those spots? Sometimes we give Jesus a place in our lives or a spot in our boat, and we feel like when we need him, he's back there sleeping when everything's crashing. And even look back, and it looks like he knows he could do something, but he just decided, I'm just going to grab a sleeping bag and just crash out of here for a little bit. And they wake Jesus up and they ask him, Jesus, do you even care that we're dying? You may not have been in this kind of chaotic season of life before, but some of life's certainties almost uh, uh, assure you that it will come. And what the disciples are going through on this boat oftentimes is stuff that we vividly experience uh, when we're out there in these storms. Uh, is, is all of a sudden something hits, you didn't expect it, you didn't plan for it, you even got Jesus with you, why is this happening, right? And you look back and like everything, right at the moment where you realize we're going to die, you look back and the person who's supposed to be the Savior is sleeping when you need saved. And I love they go and they wake him up, right? And I don't even... I don't even know how Jesus woke up from this one, right? I would love to see, like, was it like a, all right, what do we, you know, I don't know, I don't know. But what I love is they wake him up, and and man, listen to these next verses. In verse 49, it says, then he arose and rebuked the wind, right? Now, I get angry in the morning. I don't know that I've ever, like, yelled at, you know, the wind, but, you know, um, I'm not saying Jesus is angry, but, you know, he rebukes the wind and said to the sea, peace be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. Whatever storms you have come through or are currently in or heading into, will you make room in your life for Jesus so he can command the storm in you and around you? Peace be still. Isaiah chapter 26, verse 3 says, uh, Isaiah gives us the the perfect, absolute peace surrounds those whose minds are consumed with you. They confidently trust in you. Okay? Okay? So reread that again because he's addressing our thinking. He's addressing what we give our minds to, what we, what we give our headspace towards. What are the things that we think about over and over? He says, perfect and absolute peace. Not like JV peace, right? This, this isn't B-level stuff. This is the all-consuming, all, uh, uh, all, all wrapped in. There, there's no room for anything else. It's just straight up, peace surrounds those whose minds are consumed with him those are the kinds of people that can confidently trust him have you we keep our we can keep our minds and attitudes at peace when we trust in jesus the question for us is have we trusted him well do we believe his promises because those kinds of assurances are something we can lean into and give our peace towards Isaiah chapter 53, verse 5, it says, But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and it's by his wounds that we're healed. Now, I don't want to jump from Christmas to Easter just yet, right? But I love in Scripture what we get is this constant reminder. You're looking for peace. Or at least you're trying to fix your brokenness and the chaos, and the overwhelming, and you're trying to repair all these things and fix all this stuff. And the issue is it's me, I, I, me, me, I, I. And it's not him. Will you make room for him to be the one that steps in to our life, actually moves in, makes us dwelling among us, so that when he shows up, that reconciliation 
uh, right? Those reminders, that rest, that peace. We can have God's peace now if you make room for Jesus, but Jesus gives assurance of ultimate peace when he returns. There's a part of the peace. Notice Jesus isn't worried about fixing the Roman Empire so that the Jewish people can live in. That's not the peace that he shows up for. He's addressing the individual. I love, as you read through Acts, we find that he's even reaching the centurions. He's in Caesar's uh, home, uh, you know, home place. It, that, that that peace is spreading. He doesn't have to address Caesar to fix what's going on. He addresses our hearts and what's going on with us. So the question for us as we go into this, Jesus is coming, or Jesus has come. And he stands at the door and he knocks. Would you make room for him to come in? Let me pray. Lord Jesus, Father, we ask in this time that a lot of us are trying to make room in our calendars for that extra event and party that we didn't know was happening. We're trying to make room in our finances for extra gifts for people we didn't think we were going to have to give gifts to. Trying to make room for different family things so they don't feel like we're neglecting them and, and messing with this kind of thing. God, we're trying to make room uh, in our busyness and all of that just uh, for, for, for all these things that make it so crazy that we're almost excited for when this is all over. Father, would you help us make room? Would you quiet our soul? Would you put us in this place of waiting, not hurrying? God, would you give us this, this peace? Would, would you remind us that you've already done it? That all we have to do is empty our hands of everything we're trying to carry of all the people we're trying to please, of all the things we're trying to get done, and make room just to sit with you. Father, we're thankful. We're thankful that we're not uh, on, on Malachi's end of Christ. We're, we're thankful that you've come. We're thankful for Christmas. We're thankful uh, for the incarnation where, where you showed up and you made your dwelling literally among us as a child, but as a son. Uh, that the, the world for a season of history got to walk with you uh, as Jesus uh, grew and aged to the point where they were hearing his teaching and watching how he worked and seeing how he treated people and how he handled the things of you and worship and prayer, uh, but also how he handled the things of the world around us with uh, the poor and the outcast and the lonely. Father, my prayer is this Christmas. Father, would you, would you show us at least, because a lot of it's on us, would you show us how much room we need to make for everything you want to fill us with? Lord, would we be open and receptive to hearing from you, to following you, and to walking with you so that we can experience the fullness of who you are so that we can have the fullness of peace in how we live and what we do, who we're around, and who we are. Father, we thank you for Jesus, and it's in his name we pray. Amen.